It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining me right now is the author of 13 Things Strong Kids Do, Think Big, Feel Good, Act Brave. She also hosts the podcast, The Very Well Mind. Amy Marin, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. So mentally, men, being mentally strong feels like something. I read this pre-pandemic. I read two of your books pre-pandemic. Um, but I feel like in this particular moment, um, this advice is like, we were just talking about anxiety in the last segment, anxiety people feel in relation to their jobs. Um, and mentally, being mentally strong, uh, I think is a component to try to uh, quell some of that anxiety. Um, in this pandemic, have any of the rules changed for for how I mean, to rules, maintain the, your mental uh, toughness? The rules haven't necessarily changed, but I've advised people who say, okay, I want to start building mental strength, but they're in the middle of a crisis. That's not the best time to start building mental strength. Sometimes you just want to maintain what you have. Sort yeah. of like if you're about to lift a heavy box, lifting weights two seconds before isn't going to make you stronger. So it's okay to just kind of white knuckle it for a little bit if you if you have to to get through. But I think one of the biggest uphill battles I faced with talking about mental strength during the pandemic is more about people's understanding of what it means. Sometimes people think it's about acting tough. So they think if I feel anxious, then I'm not strong enough. But that's not true. It's suppressing your emotions or pretending they don't exist or judging yourself for them isn't helpful. Mental strength is about really allowing yourself to experience uncomfortable emotions and then figure out how do you express them, how do you cope with them, how do you manage them in a way that's helpful and healthy for you. I think that it's it's so true what you say that um, things, you know, if you have anxiety, that's not weakness. Um, because a lot of times anxiety is just physical. It's like your brain, um, you know, doing a thing and you, you're feeling a certain way. <laughs> um, not because like you chose to, to feel anxious. Um, in terms of you know, the day to day, I one of the, um, the things on I know, uh, the list for women was uh, about perf- perfectionism. I think that's like a, it's it's a horrible thing that we do here. <laughs> um, uh, to women where um, that's sort of what we're acculturated to strive for is the appearance of perfection. Um, and I find that that's actually one of the more damaging things. Um, is that one of the ones that we can definitely maybe let go of first <laughs> in this pandemic? Uh, because I don't feel like there is a perfect way to do this. Yeah, that's I absolutely agree <laughs> that we don't have any roadmap of what you're supposed to do. But we're seeing so many people on social media who are quarantine bragging and people talking about, well, I've never had my house has never been so clean before and I've never worked out so much my whole life. And it can put a lot of pressure on us to think, well, am I doing something wrong? Or if I'm not happy or if I am not enjoying this, then what do I do? And I'm getting tons of messages from people who are saying things like, I'm struggling to be motivated and I'm having a hard time right now. Well, you should be. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. That's okay. Right. I mean, when I remember in the beginning, people were like, I'm having such a hard time sleeping. And I was like, 
I would be worried if you said like I'm sleeping the best of my life. Like I would be very more concerned about you if you were having uh, really great sleep, um, especially exactly. before the election. <laughs> um, you know, if you were like sleeping like a baby before the election. Um, you know, in the middle of the the highest surges, then I don't know what sleeping, um, you know, assistance you were using, but I need it. Uh, <laughs> and right. maybe share share with the group because that that one is a a confusing one. Um, your new book is Thirteen Things Strong Kids Do, um, and one of the things I think a lot about is parents because I don't have kids myself, and so as much as like quarantine and lockdown has been hard for me, um. It's I know it's harder for parents because I see them on Zoom, um, you know, trying to balance all the things. And I um, I I just can't imagine. I actually can't imagine um, what that balancing act must look like. Um, But I feel like, you know, mentally strong kids, you know, they tend to have parents that emulate some of these qualities um, is that is that the right way to look at it, or are, is it just like rules for kids themselves? Yeah, kids definitely learn from watching adults, but the one of the problems is, as adults, we don't necessarily talk about our feelings a lot. So kids think, gee, mom or dad never gets sad. They never struggle with anxiety. They uh, don't have anger. And as parents, we're often quick to calm kids down, to reassure them. And you have a child who says, I'm going to fail that science test. We're often really quick to be like, no, honey, you're going to do great. And we're not teaching them to reframe their own negative thoughts. We're not teaching them how to manage their anxiety in a healthy way. And so when my first book came out, I had so many parents say, how do, how do I teach this to my kids that I wanted to write the parenting book? But I've had so many readers since then who have said, okay, now I need something for my kids. I really want them to have something. So I wanted this book to be about the very similar exercises to parent, the one in the parenting book and the one in the people book, but I wanted it to be in kid-friendly language. Mm-hmm. And my hope is that parents will then share the same language so they can say to their kids something like, is that a true thought or a blue thought? And both the kid and the mom or dad knows what that means, and then they can work on it together. And we can, as adults, I have teachers who are using this book and um, lots of other adults, coaches, but that we can then prescribe these things to kids like okay let's practice the steps to problem solving and then we walk them through it and we guide them because I'm hearing a lot of other people say well kids are resilient naturally well they're not born resilient they need skills and tools and guidance from us so that they can be resilient and my hope this book will help give kids some of those skills and tools but they certainly need some adult reinforcement to help them along the way that's so true because I feel like that's something people say a lot about kids like oh they're just so but if if that were true there would be probably fewer adults that obviously have experienced trauma and are now acting it out in the world um i feel like the world would be healthier (laughs) um if that were true that kids are naturally resilient and you know you don't really have to process things with them they'll just you know they'll be fine like if that were true then adults would be fine and we know we live in the world that's not true that there are plenty of adults walking around with unresolved trauma and um, anxieties from the things that happened to them or you know some of the things that they had to go through when they were kids in this pandemic I feel like this generation of kids like depending upon how old they are and what you know schooling level they're in as they go through this college students have a different experience of zoom 
you know, class than than second graders for sure. But is there a similarity in, in maybe some of the types of anxiety kids might be experiencing right now or what that looks like um, if you're a parent listening and you know what to look for? Because um, we've never lived in a pandemic, so I assume kids are definitely experiencing anxiety of some form right now. And they def and parents just need to know what to look for and how to how to address it. Definitely. And so, in fact, when we've looked at depression uh, in particular, in terms of which population is likely most likely to be depressed, we're finding kids 11 to 17 have the highest rates of depression, even compared to adults right now. So kids are definitely struggling with depression and anxiety is fairly sky high as well. Uh, however, a lot of parents aren't recognizing it, as you say. In fact, I spoke to a guidance counselor yesterday who did an exercise with the kids where they talked about what people see on the outside versus how they feel on the inside. And almost all the kids' comments were things like, um, I look really happy to the outside world, but nobody understands what I'm going through on the inside. And so I think for parents to have open conversations with kids about how they're feeling and not just once like, how are you doing? But to have ongoing conversations about this is kind of scary or I wouldn't be surprised if you felt really sad these days or frustrated that you can't see your friends or upset about all the things that you missed. And just looking at the changes in their eating, changes in their sleeping habits, changes in their behavior, which is tough because they've all changed their behavior since they couldn't do a lot of the things that they used to do. But um, to know that sometimes with kids, anxiety and depression come out a little bit differently. Irritability tends to be much more present. So a kid might not look sad or anxious, but they might be really irritable and grouchy. And just those sorts of changes in, in their mood, how they're interacting with their siblings can all be red flags that maybe they need a little more support or they need some help. And that anxiety and depression are super treatable, especially in kids, but that you might need a professional to do it. And that it's not a parenting flaw. I hear from a lot of parents who think, mm. If I were just a better parent, my kid would be doing better. But that's not the case, that there's a lot of other factors that go into this, too. Yeah. So how do you sort of let go of that first layer of like, oh, if my kid is having some sort of um, issue, that it's my fault? Because I think, I mean, with things, I mean, anxiety is one of those things that carries shame. People are so we, we do this weird thing in the world where we're all supposed to pretend like we're fine all the time like if, if somebody even asks you like how are you you're not actually supposed to tell them that's like the rule everybody knows that's the rule and if you actually answered honestly it would be very uncomfortable because no one's actually asking you like oh how are you and really wanting to know that's like it's not what we do here <laughs> um right so so sort of unpack for us like why it is so important to have really honest conversations and when these things are manifesting especially if you see it in your kids that you know there's no shame attached to it, but also you can sort of dig into to to why why you're feeling that way. Because I don't even know if adults are really we're not trained uh, to to really do this with each other either. Right. We talk so much about uh, emotional intelligence, but yet we're not there. We act as though somehow, yes, I can understand how this person's feeling and I can have these conversations in a way that's going to be really helpful. But the truth is, I give presentations to high-level executives, and I say, you have 30 seconds to write down as many feeling words as you can. And they all start out super excited with their pen and piece of paper, but they get to about five, and they can't get past that. You know, happy, sad, mad, anxious, and maybe scared. 
But beyond that, we talk and think so little about our emotional state that we don't even have the language for it. And so I always encourage parents to talk to kids about feeling words and start incorporating that in your everyday conversation so that kids can say, gee, I'm disappointed. Or a kid who can say I'm angry is less likely to act out their anger. And there's a lot of science that shows that kids who can just name their feelings feel a lot better. There's something empowering about saying I'm anxious and it takes some of the anxiety out of it. And for parents to know that something like an anxiety disorder or depression It's similar if we just thought of it like a physical health issue. If your kid had a physical health problem, like you suspected they had diabetes or you suspected that maybe they uh, had cancer, you wouldn't ignore it and hope that it went away. You would address it and no parent would say, gee, this is my fault. Instead, you would just accept that there's some genetic factors, there's some environmental factors and some other things that come into play. Well, mental health is the same, that there's a lot of different factors that come into this, and it's not a flaw, a character flaw on your part, and and to know that it is treatable. Unfortunately, a lot of anxiety disorders go something like eight to ten years before they get treated, and that's a lot of extra suffering for, for kids or adults to go through, and it's one of the most treatable conditions that there is. And if we just thought of anxiety like the fact that we all have anxiety alarms, and they're supposed to ring, when you're kid's friend says, go jump off that bridge, I dare you, you want your kid's anxiety alarm to ring really loudly and for Mm -hmm. them to know, that's a bad idea. But they have faulty alarms just like adults. So maybe they get anxiety when they are going to join the new soccer team or when they have to give a science fair presentation in front of the whole class. And that those things are okay. They're safe. They're not in any physical danger. It's just that their body reacts like it is. And so I think if we talked more about the science behind it and the other factors that influence anxiety and kind of normalized it and then normalize the fact that sometimes you might need professional help, just like you might see a doctor to help you with your body. It's okay to see a doctor to help you with your mind. I think about that all the time. I actually talk about therapy as I have therapy today, right after the show, actually. Um, I always talk about how I have therapy because I have a really good therapist and uh, I've been going to the same therapist for over a decade. Like her kids are uh, old now. She was pregnant when I first started going to her. So now that her kids are like, <laughs> you know, walking around and talking and having opinions, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's been a while. Um, but I like to normalize the idea that, like, I don't have it all together. Like, despite what you see on social media or on the radio or on television, um, we're all going through a pandemic, first of all. Um, but then also we all have our own individual things with your family members, um, with your friends um, and all of that. So we're always going through things um, in in terms of like the day to day and the pandemic. I kind of want to pivot back to parents and, and adults, because I know most I mean, if kids if kids are listening to this show, like they're probably extremely feminist at a young age um but i there are a lot of parents i know listening um and adults and i just think that especially now that we are in this weird middle space where like we've been doing this a while and i've sort of kind of settled into my routine right um mm-hmm. you know I, i'm 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 never putting on jeans again ever in my life like i'm i don't know if i'm ever gonna wear a heel like I've, I, I mean, I'm really acclimated to the slippers and the sweats on the bottom and the, and the work top on top. Like this is my uniform now. Um, and the anxiety I'm feeling is sort of this, when are we going to have to go back and all of the things that go along with that? Um, you know, whether it be the like social pressures, the work performance pressures, 
the commute, which is just stressful <laughs> always, um, and how to sort of, you know, lay a foundation of mental strength as you sort of transition out of lockdown. Not that the pandemic is over because it's not, which is part of why I'm anxious <laughs> when everybody's talking about returning to the office. And I'm like, is everybody in that office vaccinated? Because <laughs> um, I have a lot of questions. Um, so so how do you sort of begin to process that since we're now in, a, I think, a new phase of the pandemic and we're we're starting to have different anxieties than before? Definitely. I'm hearing from so many people that uh, those exact same concerns and it makes sense. It took a while for us to get used to sort of the, the changes that we went through, like you have to wear a mask or you can't leave the house, you can't go places. So it's going to take a while to unlearn that after spending a whole year of feeling like you can't be in a group of people that would that would be dangerous. Uh, that that message really we've internalized it, it has sunk into the core and so to now begin standing in a group of people whether you're on the subway or you're at, in the office and there's 50 people there it's going to feel awkward and weird and anxiety provoking for quite a while and that's okay to know you don't have to necessarily fight those anxious feelings sometimes you just embrace them like okay this is going to be anxiety provoking but i'm okay and then to figure out how do you manage your physical safety but also your mental health. And we want to go slow. You don't want to just step out of your house for the first time in a year directly into a rock concert with 10,000 people in the audience. But you maybe you just start doing things that are a little bit anxiety provoking for you. For someone that might be going into a store. For someone mm -hmm. else, it might be uh, taking public transportation. But to know that you don't, you don't want to just dive in head first and go from uh, zero to 100. Instead, just go slow and recognize, okay, my, here's some of my physical symptoms of anxiety. Here's what happens when I feel anxious. I start thinking, I can't stand this. I have to go home. How do you handle those thoughts? How do you talk back to them in a healthy way? Uh, once you know, okay, this is, what, this is where my comfort level is. Maybe today I'm going to uh, walk into a store. I'm going to hang out with five people or whatever your comfort level is as this starts to unfold. And then figuring out how do I do that? How do I face my fears? And the more that we practice it on a regular basis, the more comfortable we'll get. It will only take a few weeks probably for most people to, to feel like, okay, I, I can get back into this new routine that I have for a while. And uh, as things continue to unfold, uh, society is going to keep changing and um, the rules are going to change for us, but that we can adapt slowly as, as things unfold this summer. It's, it's going to be fun <laughs> to see how people transition back. I mean, just, I, I, I'm thinking about what you said about, you know, standing in a group of people. I mean, people are going to have panic attacks if they, if they, you know, get caught in the middle of a, a crowd and you know somebody doesn't have a mask on like that's going to be really anxiety especially if you've lost family members um you know to COVID-19 you know how dangerous it is um you're one of those people who really believes that you know it this is as serious as it obviously looks because you believe in science um and so I I just see this this is going to be a problem we should just um you know claim it not claim it but identify it now so that we can be prepared for when that inevitably um, does happen. I mean, in the last few minutes here, um, a few more minutes here, um, I, I just want to sort of hone in on the foundation of building mental strength broadly um, for people who haven't read your books. Like, what would you say is the through line that connects sort of, you know, your book on 
women, people, parents and kids? Like what is what is sort of that um, principle that connects the mental the mentally strong in all of those groups of people? So it would all be about the way you think, feel and behave. And to know that you're stronger than you think and everything you think isn't true and you don't have to believe your thoughts. And that when it comes to the way that you feel, you don't have to fight all of the uncomfortable emotions. Sometimes it's about embracing them and then it's about knowing when they aren't serving you well and managing the ones that aren't helpful. And then when it comes to our behavior, it's knowing that we can take some kind of productive action and do something even when we don't feel like it or that we can take steps to make our life or somebody else's life better. And part of that is also knowing when do you tackle the problem versus when do you tackle how you feel about the problem. And that's why the subtitle of my kid's book is think big, feel good and act brave. Cause those are the, those are the three things that I really weave through all of my books. I like that. That's very, it's very helpful. um, The way you broke that down. And I think identifying, you know, when you're having these feelings and then knowing that you can do something about it, I think is it's a very empowering feeling because um, I find that doing like taking the first step towards doing the thing, because even it's like even that stupid household task that you've been walking past that you don't want to do. Um, I find that like, I don't know if it was like John Maxwell once said like, uh, you know, just say do it now in your head over and over and over again. <laughs> it becomes like a mental trigger when you walk past the thing, like do it now, do it now and just do it. And then like it takes seven minutes. It always takes like seven minutes, no matter what task it is that you thought it was going to take a really long time. And you were like, oh, I don't want to do it. But it always takes six minutes. Um, And and just like trying to to be more intentional instead of feeling the anxiety and guilt that you haven't done the thing doing the thing um, or at least taking that first step towards doing the thing um, can be a really helpful, helpful process. Um, We have three minutes. So as we close this conversation, um, what as people head into the weekend, what are some of the things that, I don't know, practical, practical um, exercises people could go into their weekend with um, to start practicing mental strength? Oh, good question. So one thing would be uh, practice naming your emotions. Maybe check in with yourself when you brush your teeth in the morning and and at night or whenever you sit down to eat a meal, just say, how am I feeling right now? Putting a name to your emotion takes a lot of the sting out of it, increases your ability to identify how you're feeling. And then to take a minute and think, how does this feeling perhaps affecting my decisions today? We know that anxiety spills over from one area of our lives to another. So if you're anxious about the pandemic and your boss says, do you want to take on this project? You're much more likely to say no, uh, just because you're anxious about something else. Or when you're sad, you're less likely to negotiate. If your boss says, can you get this done by Friday and you think you can get it done by Monday, you'll just say yes to the Friday because you don't want to say Monday in the event your boss says no. You'll think, I can't handle that. So just recognizing your emotions and how those affect your decisions is huge. Another one that you might do is just talk to yourself like a trusted friend. So often our thoughts are uh, quite negative where we think this is, uh, I'm an idiot, I messed up, I ruined everything, but we wouldn't say that to our friend. So if you just ask yourself, what would I say to my friend who had this problem? You'll speak to yourself a lot more wisely than you would otherwise. And then the third one when it comes to your behavior might be practicing the 10 minute rule. When there's something you don't want to do, like you think, all right, I should go to the gym, but I don't want to do it. 
do the 10 minute rule. Tell yourself, I'm going to work out for 10 minutes. Once I get to the 10 minute mark, if I don't want to do this anymore, I'll stop. And once we get going, usually getting started is the hardest part. Once you get going, it's much easier to stay in motion. So you 99% of the time, you'll find that you'll keep going, whether you're cleaning the house or writing a boring report. Just get yourself started with the 10-minute rule and promise if at 10 minutes it's awful and it's horrible, you can quit. Uh, and that can help you stay motivated to get something done. That's so true. That works. I have tried this before. Um, in Brooklyn, where I normally live, um, I live alone, which is a very liberating thing because there's no one there except for you. So, like, if there is a dish, I don't care that much. Like, I will leave it because I'm the only one here to judge myself <laughs> for not doing it. Um, and every single time, no matter what, if I just, I, I sometimes I'll set a timer for 10 minutes. And I will do the thing and it, the, I'm, like, done before the 10 minutes is up and I'm really mad at myself for procrastinating. Um, but it is a good reminder that usually the things you don't want to do... Uh, 10 minutes is a, a good amount of time to <clears throat> at least give it an attempt. The exercise thing is factually correct because by 10 minutes in, you're kind of like you're, you know, whatever physical thing that happens, you know, with the endorphins, it's it's already begun. I've, tr I've tried that 10 minutes working out or even five, like, oh, I'll only do five minutes. I'll press play because I do. I work out at home. So I'll press play. And then if I if I'm not feeling it, I'll I'll stop after five minutes. And I never want to stop. And I don't work out longer than 30. So generally, it's over pretty quickly. <laughs> I don't do like anything. We're not talking hours and hours because nobody has time for that. Um, right. <laughs> I think that's such good advice to go into the weekend with. Um, really be aware of your emotions and name them. I like that. I'm going to try to attempt to do that um, this weekend, especially because I, I definitely know I've been feeling the anxiety, this sort of like uncertainty now of where I'm going to live, <laughs> frankly, um, and and um, sort of how I'm going to do my life in the other side of the pandemic. Because I had all these weird dreams in the beginning, like, I'm going to move to LA and get a pool um, and a convertible. And, and now it's like, oh, <laughs> probably not going to do that yet, um, although it's still in my brain. Um, but I'll probably not go back to exactly what I was doing before, because I wasn't, I recognized um, how I didn't, I was not exactly happy in that situation. Um, but all this is not, it's not all about me. I'm just using myself and as an example of how I've been processing. Um, Amy, I appreciate you taking the time out this morning to join us. Um, you should read all of Amy's books. Honestly, everyone listening, it's mental health awareness month this month. So this is all, um, important conversations that we have on the show all the time, but, um, it's important to have it and amplify these issues in this month. 13 things strong kids do think big, feel good, act brave. Um, but Amy has uh, three other books um, that you should also read about how to be mentally strong. I appreciate you taking the time, Amy Marin. Um, please stay safe and have a great weekend. It's, you know, it's a pandemic. I try to tell, I try to say to everyone, stay safe like that. I really mean it because I, you know, uh, you just never know in this pandemic what's going to happen. So please stay safe. And um, we'd love to have you back because I think mental toughness is an ongoing theme here. <laughs> We're trying to um, reach that goal at all times, or at least I know I am. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me.
Thank you all so much for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Zerlina Maxwell, at Jess underscore MC, and at Signal Boost Show. 